consumer habits are changing. The personal loan, as you and I would understand it in the UK, may not exist in five years. It will all be installment finance driven through point of sale offerings. You know, it'll be a little bit different to buy an RPL8 because it could be larger value, longer term. It might be interest bearing. But, you know, we need to react. We need to think about different ways of taking product to market, what our consumers wanting and how do we best support their needs. Buy Now, Pay Later was around before the pandemic, establishing a foundation, finding a user base and growing. But the nature of exponential growth is such that initially it can be hard to see. One becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight, becomes 16, until suddenly it isn't, and thousands and thousands of customers are signing up every day in countries around the world. That natural upswing then coincided with and was amplified by the pandemic push to more online commerce, more online everything really, to create the BMPL explosion that we saw. Then came the equally quick reversal. As usual, the truth lies somewhere in between. Consumers love cheap and transparent creditors. Investors love creditors that can attract consumers. So check and check. But investors also love growth. And that's where the valuations went awry, I think. In the pursuit of growth, we saw too many lenders making too many unsustainable loans. Too risky or too unaffordable. Because they were each in an independent race, invisible from each other. It's a gap that can only be closed by broad-scale data sharing which is now beginning to happen. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Simon Forster, Senior Market Consulting Partner at Experian. Welcome to the show. I think your route to your current role is interesting, not just because it closes a loop, but because you've worked with several of the UK challenger banks, which back in the day were the original digital banks. And I don't know if we can call it fintech version one, but before we start talking about the details of buy now, pay later on the credit bureau, would you mind starting us off by talking me through that early career and what it was like within those early years of fintech innovation in the UK? Yeah, for sure. Actually, really quite interesting reflecting back because while all of the banks I helped transform were labeled as challengers, they were effectively a partitioned entity within existing high street banks. But what made it really quite interesting, they were keen to do and to offer something different. And I guess there's some synergy around what we're going to talk about later today with buy now, pay later. So they were wanting to, to utilize their, their retail base, wanting to offer very simple very functional products to their customer base. And they saw the, the supermarket as, as a route to market distribution partner. And you're very much right when you describe it as, as kind of fintech 1.0. We had a blank canvas. The brief was deliver like for like. So while a lot of the underlying tech was, was consistent, we were able to start fresh. Therefore, we weren't hamstrung by technical debt. And that offered us a real advantage in terms of getting product and capabilities to market. And you're absolutely right in that digital and online space we could do something and we could be much more customer-centric. Then you moved, though, to, to Experian. What is your role within Experian, I guess, more broadly? And I see on LinkedIn, you, you tag yourself as passionate about the enablement of innovative data-driven solutions, which promote credit inclusivity. How does that thread of credit inclusivity run through that work? 
to describe it at its most simplistic level, my, my role, I sit within the financial services vertical. So within financial services, we have some online credit card issuers, retail finance houses, some of the smaller mortgage lenders, but we also have the larger buy now later providers. And my role is to work with a number of those clients and effectively provide a view of the market, what the data is telling us, who's doing what, what those trends look like to effectively help them stay ahead of the game. And equally as part of that is, you know, it's to ensure they get the very most of the products and services that they take from experience. Now, outside of the high street bank, a number support what we describe as the, the underserved credit market. And there's been some real change in that space over the last three to five years. We talk an awful lot about using data for the power of good. So it's about identifying and unlocking new data sources and how that can be used by lenders to, to create opportunity for themselves and, 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 and the customers they serve, right? You know, you would like to think everybody has a current account. Almost everybody has a mobile phone. The reality is they don't. So even the most basic bureau footprint doesn't, doesn't exist. And therefore, there's a credit active population. There's the underserved, there's the invisible. And it's how can we target solutions, service portfolios to better serve those data sets? One of the things that, that came out of the, the COVID lockdown years was a rapid acceleration of e-commerce here in the UK, but also obviously around the world. And at the same time, and partly because of that, we saw the big explosion of buy now, pay later as this new model that grabbed a lot of headlines in the UK because some fingers had been burnt by bad payday lending in the past and people could still remember that. And in big part because you know, there were questions about how much lending is happening outside of the walls of the credit bureau, unseen by the formal lending system. And is there a risk of runaway borrowing on some consumers and, and problems with affordability? So I guess we're here today because the very good news is that actually now that's not the case anymore. The buy now, pay later sector is being brought within the walls of the credit bureau. From what you've seen, if you were just going to set the scene, what does that buy now, pay later sector look like? How big is it? And in terms of the consumers you're seeing, are they the young, sort of high-risk consumers we expect? I think we saw a number of shifts during the pandemic. One of which, and the most obvious, was because you couldn't transact in a physical store, there was a direct correlation to increased volumes, better credit quality in terms of, you know, retail finance mail order where you could buy online. And then obviously you have BMPL. The pandemic was was, was very much a, an accelerator. The buy now, pay later existed pre-pandemic, but I think it helped move it forward. I can just about recall my mum paying on ticket at the local shop. It's a form of buy now, pay later. You know, you've been able to get in-store credit, either on a revolving basis or fixed term for a number of years. You could buy your sofa through DFS on 12 months interest-free. So, so, so the concept has is, is, is been around for forever and a day. What's changed is the vehicle driven by digital acceleration and also product innovation. Over time, we've seen the consumer who interacts with buy now, pay later change and evolve. And that's very much correlated to the fact it's become more, more mainstream. Buy now, pay later is available now in, in almost all checkout journeys. And it's very simplistic. Maybe that's part of the problem. People don't necessarily see it as a form of credit. And there's a, perhaps a, a stigma associated with it. And, and combined with the fact, you know, you've got a growing sector, an emerging sector. Nobody quite knows what's happening, who's using it. There were questions being asked. What we do see is working with the larger providers, a real growth and adoption. If I think about the three months worth of data, we've, live data we've got in the Bureau, so, so December into January and Feb, so it's interest-free, predominantly online, for a term of no more than three months. We see 3.8 million unique customers, a big number, right? Yeah. And they've made 15 million transactions, spending almost 300 million pounds. 
And it's not just your Gen Z, it's not just your millennial, it's across all demographics. And actually, the, the fastest growing demographic is the 35 to 44 age band. Sadly, I'm now just outside of that, but it's reflective of the product becoming more mainstream, right? This is established, right? It's here today. If we think about it with a, a lender's lens, you know, it wasn't so long ago that when you're talking about credit bureaus, they're dealing primarily with established banks and non-bank lenders that have been around for tens of years and very structured data, kind of everybody knew what everyone was doing. But the arrival of buy now, pay later has been so quick that that's obviously not the case. These are lots of newer companies, smaller companies doing things differently. And in particular, the terms, as you said, less than three months, which presents, I imagine, some sort of unique challenges in how we read this. And in myself, when I think through some of the numbers I see, I'm not sure how to interpret a default on a single transaction versus that same person using a credit card where it might have been rolled up and and, and uh, watered down. The, the, the credit reporting framework was developed probably 25 years ago, and it was developed for traditional products as we understand them today. And, and the world has changed, right? So has credit reporting kept up with technology and product innovation? Probably not. I think the credit information market survey will begin to address some of those challenges uh, and it will enable the inclusion of, of, of new products and we will be able to reflect them in, in, in a much more accurate light. But we've, we've, we've taken the view and absolutely in my mind, it's the right one that we, we need to get the data in. So there wasn't a full adherence to what we call reciprocity. So, you know, many of the providers were using our data to make informed, transparent, safe lending decisions, but they weren't contributing back. That was a scenario that just, just couldn't persist. It is short term and the bureau cycle is, is monthly reporting. So again, no no direct fit, but it's important we get that information in. And actually we get a lot of data in. I think 20% of all records we we see are what we what we term in the trade is closed settled. So so we see them on the bureau after they've been paid down. Yeah. Which which again you could argue is a, a good thing, but it's important we have that visibility. Over time, I'm I'm convinced we will go to a, a real-time model whereby you get that trade, that transaction is made, it's reported, it's visible and, and can be consumed by all. The flip side is, you know, the vast majority of lending organisations in the UK have links into the Experian Bureau and in the same way that we're not quite set up, neither are the lenders. So we're, we're quite some way away from getting to that view. So we, we adopted the view that let's get the data in, let's work with what we've got. We put a framework in place that said, each transaction, each basket, each purchase um, will be considered a, a unique credit record. So you could be running multiple BMPL, but they would all have its unique payment schedule, which then comes back onto your next point. How do you weight this data? What does it represent? So, you know, on, on a credit card, it's a rolled up aggregated view. So a, a default balance on a card of, of say, £5,000 is going to be very different to a default on a pair of trainers, as you suggest you know, for which you probably already made at least one payment because it's, it's required up front. So, so the dynamics are very different. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Because they're so very different and because we don't have a huge amount of, of performance or outcome data, we've decided to, to, to hold this information out of our core bureau. 
and, and I'll try and simplify that, it, it means it won't impact credit scores or core characteristics other lenders use when building their own scorecards because we, we can't quite reflect it in its most accurate way. So therefore, we will surface information. We will show individuals' behavior, their performance, the number of transactions, the balance, the payment, ratios against credit card, but it will be entirely standalone. It won't impact score because the reality is if we inject this data directly into the score as it stands today, the model would, one, penalize a customer. It would be to their detriment, which is, which is not something anybody wants, and it would introduce real volatility to our lenders' models. So we're holding it out. We're looking at the data, we're looking at outcomes, we're testing against score, so we can make some informed decisions to say, well, okay, how does it how does it best reflect? How does it best fit? I like this approach of let's get it on there. Let's look at it. We're not going to push it into our models yet, but at least it's here. And that gives us something to work with. And you know how these things go, you blink your eye and it's going to be six months, twelve months down the line, and suddenly you will have enough data to to build strong models on. I also want to pick up on on something there in terms of the the reciprocity. I've rolled out a few credit bureaus in in new markets, and it tends to be that the big established players can be a little bit reluctant to let these smaller players on. And they feel like, well, I've got 20 million customers. This person's only got half a million customers. You know, they're getting the better end of the deal. But actually, from my experience, it's these unique models that are bringing different customers and different types of data in that are punching above their weight. Because if you're one big bank and another big bank adds their data, there's a lot of overlap whereas this is very much in a different niche. Obviously, there are a lot of consumers that had traditional credit products that had credit bureau reports, but also, I think, what guess, a lot of consumers that this is some of their first credit data or detailed credit data coming on board. So there's kind of a number of different definitions, but if you think about invisible, and then you have thin file to thick file. So we're seeing a limited shift from invisible to thin, a bigger shift from thin to thick, and then degrees of thickening as you work your way through the through the score bands and the depth and breadth of data. But there's, there's a number of reasons for that. One is, as I said earlier, not all, but the majority of providers are using credit reference data to either identify the customer point of sale or make an informed decision about how much they're willing to lend to them. And a lot of that information also comes into, well, okay, where are the shopping and what are they buying? So that is equally as important as their, as their credit score and weighting. But to get through that initial test, you must have at least a pulse on the bureau, more often than not. So that's having a current account, having a mobile phone. Having a mobile phone may mean you've got another two keys records. So, you know, we see a lot of thickening of file with this data, but we don't see a big shift in the move from invisible to thin or thin to thick. Just for clarity for the the rest of the world, they're saying the UK is, is only fairly unique, I think maybe unique, in that it has access to current account data on the credit bureau. So for us, that starting point is far more broad than for markets where it's credit products only. For them, the the thickening, uh, that we see is actually going to be new to credit. But I think there's two two lessons there. One, yes, it's a way to provide thicker credit files for consumers who aren't yet transacting on all the formal products. But two is that actually, yeah, this is a product that's been used by your customers. It's data you should be seeing on that. If lenders are wanting to see what these consumers look like, what the situation of these products looks like, how, how are you sharing that? With the market, where can lenders go to get their heads around what's what's happening in this space? It can be consumed directly through existing links, albeit through an extension. So we can enable the data, you know, what we call raw trade lines, so that transactional level, clients who take that and can be switched on immediately. Or we can surface the content of the summarized block. And, and, and you know, one of the, the, the levers we're looking to pull when, when talking to our clients, yes, everybody focuses upon risk and 
best in class risk management standards. But for, for me, it's more around opportunity. So it's so a pockets of risk absolutely do exist in this data set. And you'll be able to see customs that are running hot on your credit card and have multiple BMPL trades. Therefore, I need to do something about it. Or equally, some defaults, which are few and far between on BMPL, but up to date elsewhere. So, so how do I react to them? But it's about additional positive payment performance data. So a, a, a good slice of these customers don't have a credit card, for example. So, you know, the Gen Z, the, you know, they, they, they don't they have a very different attitude toward credit as, as, as say you and I would. And therefore, we're surfacing a huge amount of positive payment performance data that could be used by lenders to to offer product and service. Yeah. Whereas historically, they wouldn't have sat within their risk appetite or there'd be insufficient information. You know, while it's not impacting score day one, there is that positive payment performance data or trends and behaviors that can be used over time. So look, you know what? These are a, a customer who's showing a high propensity to repay. Therefore, I can engage with them and offer them a product I ordinarily wouldn't have. Yeah, you well, you spoke there about risk management. Are you able to share any statistics in terms of the the risk that people fear is in this population versus what you're actually seeing? What I what I can say is, so, so look, a, a lot of commentary in the BMPL space comes from a particular angle. So, for example, I, I can't recall whom, but one high street bank pulled together a survey with the support of Step Change. So, Step Change work close with citizens of advice. And their customer base are financially stressed individuals. So therefore, any population they're engaging with are likely to have accounts in arrears, likely to be in financial difficulty, likely to be on forbearance. And therefore, it's not a surprise when they say they've struggled to make their buy up later commitments because they struggle to make others. Lots of this is written through a lens. But what we see holistically is that arrears emergence bad rate on, on, on this short term transactional BMPL is lower than that we see on a credit card book. Clearly, one's bigger than the other. Yeah. But in terms of how they sit in the distribution across score band, you're not a million miles away, they, they stack up. So, so, you know, absolutely risk exists. There are undoubtedly people who use BMPL as a prop, but there are many more who, who kind of see it as more of a, a payment vehicle out of convenience, a better way of managing their finance. But in terms of arrears emergence, it, it looks and feels no different to some of the other revolving products that exist in the bureau today. Yeah, and I think that's important in the sort of the hype cycle that we've seen with BNPL, where three years ago it was almost mandatory in every headline written about lending. It was about how great BNPL is. And then a couple of years ago, that flipped and went about how dangerous it is. That actually, once that's washed through the system, there's a significant amount of consumers using BNPL pretty well. Uh, they're your customers already for in many cases. And uh, if they're not your customers, they're the same sort of customers. So this, from a lending point of view, where we sort of leave the headlines behind, this is a, a product whose data you need to look at and you need to think about because it's very much applicable to to everybody out there. And I think that's a core message that we need to put aside some of those fears from headlines and try and yeah speak to the likes of you at Experian about what does this data mean? How do I how do I interpret it into my models? Yeah, and and you know we absolutely say and and you know I, I kind of get get wheeled out speak to a number of the high street banks and you know it's, it's creating that 360 view it's using that data to complement what you already know about the individual and, and you're going to have to let it build over a period of time because you are going to take and understand usage over six nine twelve months but the data will tell its own story it will help you identify value equal will help you identify risk yeah and you said there that it's sort of three months of data on the bureau now in terms of the project of of getting all the data on board where are we on that is everybody contributing now there's still people adding data and what's the the timeline there so, so i'd say we we have coverage of and it's very difficult to 
get a view on whole market when you've when you've never seen it. <laughs> but I suggest an experience when we have eighty eighty five percent. Now there are some organisations who are working with to onboard. There are new entrants coming to the market who who will look to support going forward. And and equally there were providers who are thinking about the use of Bureau who don't necessarily use it today, but but are wanting to do so going forward. So it's a it's it, it's an evolving picture, but I think we've we've got enough to say we've we we we've got that that market share, that critical mass, enough to make it useful, enough to make it meaningful. Simon, I actually reached out to you via an article I saw published by the team at Experian on buy now, pay later on, on the credit bureau. If people want to read some of these insights and sort of some of your interpretations of the data, where can they go to do that? Or maybe they want to have a conversation directly and, and start understanding this data a bit more for themselves. Where's a good place for them to learn more about this at Experian? So there's a, a number of white papers on our publicly facing website, you know, just search Experian BNPL or be Experian UK BNPL rather than US or anywhere, anywhere else in the globe. Uh, we have product sheets, we have testimonials, we have some insight, we have a bit of myth busting, but equally happy for, for individuals or organizations to reach out via LinkedIn or their, their account management network. You know, we, we're more than happy to have that conversation because I think it's important in my role, at least, we, we kind of educate and we inform and, and we ensure everybody understands what this data represents and the way in which it can be used to add value to all players. In terms of the, the work you're doing and your team's doing, what other topics are hot right now? What other things are you keeping an eye on over the next couple of months? The more exciting ones are in and around score boost and, and, and finding different use cases, different stories within the data to add value and, and how we can promote lender adoption. And, and then the other is what they're going to do in the gambling sector and you know the, the introduction of a proportionate affordability test and how can we use our data. So we have a unique customer key in the UK. So we have a, an identifier for every financially active individual. Could we use that alongside some of our models and, 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 and metrics to help inform appropriate decisions in that space too? Uh, and what can we bring to market and, and, and more help again consumers? You know, I guess it would be a benefit to the organizations. It will help them remain compliant, but it's about how can we use our data for the power of good and putting that consumer first. Yeah. And I think a lot of um, looping back that idea of the 360 degree view and I guess simplified as affordability, but this idea of if we can understand the consumer's true exposure and true incomes, then we can, we can provide services in a, in a way that's safe for, for both parties. And I think the UK is a great place to test that because we have such wide data in terms of uh, affordability and incomes and gaming and all sorts of things in there that not every bureau has. But that same principle uh, holds true in other markets that are uh, thinner yeah. in terms of their credit as well, that particularly if we sort of wrap it up by mentioning BNPL again, it's just this idea that that's where people are transacting. It would be silly not to um, <laughs> not to be considering it in our, in our lending well, decisions. You know, like, like everything, we have, we have to move, we have to evolve. We see the, the the world of finance changing. You know, I, I think in my personal opinion, the, the, the personal loan, as, as as you and I would understand it, in the UK may not exist in five years. It will all be installment finance driven through point of sale offerings. You know, it'll be a little bit different to buy now, pay later. Cause it could be larger value, longer term. It might be interest bearing. Yeah. But you know, consumer habits are changing. A lot of that's been driven by changes in tech. But you know, we need to react. We need to think about different ways of taking product to market. What are consumers wanting, and how do we best support their needs? Yeah, I think you're right there. I mean, there's that underlying flexibility and transparency that's in there, which is separate to the free. And that can be applied to almost every loan product. How can we provide some more customer-friendly uh, interaction? So 
yeah, something to to look forward to. And I guess lots of studies from the team for uh, people listening to to go look for. I'll put links to the documents in the show notes as well. But otherwise, they can reach out to you, as you said, on, on LinkedIn and start those conversations. It's a space that obviously for the next year or two even will be really interesting to see how it develops and ultimately how that decision is made, how do we incorporate them into credit bureau scores and into in-house models. But I think it's clear to me that they'll be coming in. It's such valuable data. I'm just glad that it's been done in a considered way. On that, Simon, thank you so much for, for making the time to take me through it today. No, thank you, Brendan. And thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn, where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England, and edited by Fina Charlson of FC Productions. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show or just www.htlmts.show. And I'll see you again next Thursday. Thursday.